Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I hate to ask this. This is, this is stupid, but it could be really cool. You have any of your rhymes from your songs that kind of sum up this journey from childhood trauma beyond all measure to positive, creative inspiration. I've been battling with my demons. I'm cowardice when I see them. I'm powerless. I can't beat them. But deep down, I feel like I need them. Power is freedom. You can lead them, but can't feed them. Smiling on my face, but I'm dying under the surface. What is my purpose? I'm feeling worthless. Tell me what worth is. My flaws, I happily greet them. Imperfections, I love them. My enemies, I defeat them. Man, I know somebody's going to relate to this. If keeping it real is a sin, you better pray for this. Because I wanted this shit all my life till I finally got it and realized there's so much more to life. I used to dream I'd become the fucking man I am. Stacking money and reading my son Sam I am. Love life. Can't tell you how much a fan I am. This is grown folk music if you did not know. 30-something. I ain't rapping about no dumb shit, ho. Keep it real. Bobby boy, he ain't no kid no more. Now keep it real. Bobby boy, he ain't no kid no more. And if you feeling how I'm feeling, let a motherfucker know. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Metaphysical Milkshakers, it's me, Rain Wilson. And it is I, Reza Aslan. How you doing, Rain? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I know we've both been out and around traveling Mm. across this great nation and across this great, beautiful round globe. Um, how have your, how have your travels been, your vacations and whatnot? Good, good, good. We had fun. We all went to uh, Portugal for a couple of weeks. Everybody came home with COVID. So that was good. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I feel like, I feel like it's been a while since you and I have talked. What do you, have you, you haven't been doing this on your own or anything, have you? Cause that would be weird. Well, as a matter of fact, um, I couldn't wait for you in your Portuguese COVID. So I went off and I recorded an episode solo, baby. <gasps> How dare you? Yeah, I know. I know. But uh, I'm really excited about this episode. I'm really excited for you to hear it and for our audience to hear it. This is the craziest story is um, I once participated in this online chess tournament, uh, celebrity chess tournament. I took mm-hmm. second place, by the way. Nice. And- um, along the way, one of the people that I played, uh, and, and beat was, uh, Logic, the rapper, the, the Logic, rapper, his name, the rapper. Yeah. yeah. Bobby Hall is his name, but he goes by Logic. Incredibly popular rapper. He's got four or five number one albums. Um, he's got an incredible, large, loyal fan base. Um, and we, we, we hung out a couple of times. We recorded some comedy bits together, played a little chess. Um, really super cool guy. And uh, a while back, he sent me his memoir. It's called This Bright Future. And I knew he'd had kind of a rough life. And But oh my God, Reza, I, 
I couldn't believe his life story. Um, you know, uh, from his dad dealing drugs to teaching him how to cook, wow. you know, meth and crack to, I mean, ODs and um, just, uh, and, and, and uh, a, a mom who is uh, completely uh, bipolar, violent. And um, anyways, the list goes on and on. But the point of it is, Bobby is such a nice guy and such a sweet guy. And he puts so much positivity in the world. All of a sudden I was like, I'm fascinated by this guy. I am fascinated oh, this is your by jam. young Bobby Hall, AKA logic. How do you go through that? Yeah. You know, I've been in therapy for a long time whining about my, you know, the little injustices I suffered in suburban Seattle in the seventies and eighties as a kid. And then, and then this life story, how do you go through that? And then give so much to the world in his music, his stuff is positive. It's uplifting. He could go dark and he goes light. He builds community. It's, 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 it's incredible. And, wow. um, was really excited to, um, to have that conversation with him. And sorry, I couldn't wait for you to get back from Portugal. Turning tragedy into creativity. Let's hear this. We uh, met uh, originally on an online chess game. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that? So yeah. how, how's your chess going? I play every day. I probably play 30 games a day. Three, you're, 30, so you're, three you're probably games. better than me No, now. I'm not. I play very badly. I just have fun. I'm just like, yeah. come on, faster. Like, I go through phases where I'll play 30 times a day for like two or three months. And then I'm just like, I can't play chess anymore. And I abolish it from my life for months because I get way too obsessed about yeah, it. Yeah, it's insane. It's like the and most- it's so frustrating because I want to be better and I've kind of hit this plateau and I know if I want to be better, I've got to oh, take you gotta lessons put in time. and study. I've got to study Daniel. openings. Yeah, <laughs> Daniel Wrench from chess.com. Yeah, yeah, shout, shout out. out. Shout out. One of the greatest sayings I've ever heard about chess and it's how I feel about life and creativity. Okay. You can't beat chess it's a game you can't beat yeah unless you're magnus carlson <laughs> like basically and even him he didn't he lose to like a 17 year old from india the other day or something like that yeah so it happens you have a tattoo of the goonies on your arm i do i have a lot of nerd shit all over i me. never saw the goonies until a month ago what what'd you think i thought it sucked. <laughs> I'm here to say, unpopular opinion, number one, The Goonies is a terrible movie. I love Everyone it. remembers The Goonies as being brilliant. I'm so sorry to say this. It's a bunch of screaming kids and they don't stop screaming. Oh my God. <laughs> and they're just like bumping into each other and screaming. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you, you know what's funny about The Goonies? It's like 20 minutes. Like if you really look at the Goonies and like yeah. how 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 everything happens, it's like the adventure of like getting the treasure kind yeah, of part. It's like yeah. twenty minutes. Yeah. It's like they're literally, even though it's it's when you think about it, you know, they're out before the sun goes down, and then they're in the all night or I don't I don't know whatever, right? Yeah, because it's like night, and then it's the morning, and it's the whole thing, bro. Like just watch the events of just the kids. It's like they're on their bikes, they get to the where the tortellis, whatever the hell their name is, they go underneath the thing and then it's just, they walk in one direction, <laughs> like Harry Styles. 
and then they're there. The rest of the movie is the cutaways of what's happening as the kids are walking. So mm. it seems like it's longer, but really it's almost like it place, takes place in different dimensions of the story. Nerd facts. Speaking of nerds, I love through the book, you're always drawn to the nerds. Oh yeah, dude. From the, from the get-go. That's why I agreed like, to do this interview. <laughs> you were like, that nerdy white guy, I want to hang with him yeah. with the Coke bottle glasses. Why, why, why are you so drawn to the all things nerd? Because it's me. And I think um, I've been so blessed to be that voice in hip hop. Because like, don't get me wrong. I'm not the first. I think the first probably openly nerd dude on a mainstream level is Lupe Fiasco. Mm -hmm. But there's like a lot of cats underground that were long before him and me that were, you know, inspired by all that. I mean, look at Wu-Tang Clan, like Kung Fu, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. anime, but it's like amazing. And then you nerded out on Kill Bill. I love that oh, story. Yeah. Discovered Kill Bill through that, the RZA, because he did the soundtrack through that, discovered Wu-Tang through that, started rapping and here I am. And now it's like the RZA's my friend. Like he just texts amazing. me and he's just like, hey, yo, Bobby, what's up? <laughs> bong, bong. He's like, I hope you're doing good. I'm like, yeah, man, fuck, this is wild. That's awesome. No, but that's how I feel about you or fucking J.J. Abrams or like any of my homies that I have. I'm like, how? I don't even know what the fuck. But I think it's just energy. You mm. know, real recognize real, man. Like all you guys are really cool. You inspire me. So I don't know what you like about me, but whatever it is, I'm like, all right. You know, let's keep this circle jerk going. I like it. <laughs> You know, do you know Big Boy from Big Boy's Neighborhood, mm -hmm. the radio personality? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's like the godfather of radio. Guy who created The Office, mm -hmm. Greg Daniels, tried to do a TV show with him. Wow, Tried to really? make him a star of, a TV, of his own TV show. Oh, man. He's, yeah, a fu he's a funny guy. He's a good actor. He was yeah. in a couple, couple dope films. I heard he was great. Films. And he, um, you know, on, on my journey to self-acceptance, which I've really kind of hit the peak of at the end of my 20s, and they say you kind of find yourself in your 20s and you're mm -hmm. kind of more comfortable in your 30s. He, he called me Logic. He was like, Logic, this, this is a game of enough. Entertainment is about enough, not cool enough, black enough, hip enough, hard enough, rough enough, rich enough, handsome enough. He was like, you're enough. Mm -hmm. I was like, damn. That was knowledge, man. And when he told me that, I was like, I am enough. So regardless of, of people's per perception of me, whether they think I'm too anxious, too this to that to whatever i just remember i am enough and i and and also i cannot please everyone no i can't and i wanted to and i that's you know when somebody comes at you and they talk shit or whatever you're kind of like oh man why don't they like me bro because not everybody's gonna like you just accept it i told this story on this podcast before one of our other 80 episodes and i, I don't remember which one but when i first got into therapy and was going through a real rough patch. This was maybe 18 years ago, something like that. My therapist was having me say affirmations, daily affirmations. And he gave me like a, a printed list from the internet of like affirmations. And the first one on the list, number one, was I am enough. Wow. And he handed me this sheet of paper and I looked at it. I just burst into tears. Damn. And that, and I just read number one and I was like, I can't, I can't say that. He's like, then that's the one you need to say. And he had me tape it to my mirror wow. in my bathroom. And every morning I had to say, I am enough first thing in the morning. And it, even now, like saying it, like 
that goes to such a deep wound know, in man. me of like, I am not enough. And, and maybe that's something about creatives of like that. You, 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 you know, it take, to, to make a pearl, you know, it's, it's sand in an oyster that forms yeah. into a pearl. You know, maybe it's that, that little, that wound that, that, that creates that. And that if you are satisfied that you're enough, doesn't maybe it doesn't keep you creative what do you think yeah it's funny that you say that because it's true it's like my whole life and everything that i had gone through or people telling me like you suck like like it's literally like you're never gonna make it in rap and then you put out a mixtape that's kind of good it's like well, you're never gonna really get fans and then you get fans and it's like well you're never gonna get a record deal and then you get a record deal <laughs> you're never gonna put out a major album put out a major album you're never gonna go on tour you go on tour all right you got lucky with the first one. Your your second one's not going to do good. Second one does great. You're never all right. Whatever. You're never you're never going to sell out the Madison Square Garden. Sell out Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. you keep doing this thing, and I think it's that chip that kind of helps that yeah. in a way. Sure, but for how long? So that's my thing. It's like, well, how many number ones can you have? How many? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Successful TV shows, films, this that. Like, it's life is not about that. It really isn't. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a part of it. Like having success is great. It's awesome. It's an honor. But for how long, bro? It's like work on you. And now, like I can't tell you how I still, there's times I just feel like a fraud. I feel like I'm an imposter, like for real. Like I'm like, I don't know how I tricked everybody. But yeah, cha-ching, I did it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, it's weird. Well, let's go to the very beginning. Why would you call a book that is so harrowing about uh, one of the most traumatic childhoods, not only that I've ever heard of, that I could ever conceive of, why would you call this book This Bright Future? Have you ever heard of Manfred's Man Band? Manfred Man yeah, Band? yeah. They, so, they, they used to cover a lot of Bruce Springsteen yeah, and they songs have some back in the 70s. Fantastic original music too. And I actually had to clear it with Manfred Mann himself for um, one of my last albums. It was called No Pressure. On this album, I have a song called Heard Him Say. And the opening lyrics are sampled from a Manfred Mann song called uh, Lies Through the 80s. And there's a girl and she sings, um, I saw a boy uh, walking with no smile on his face today. Where is my place in this bright future? I heard him say. And then I come in and I rap and I go, they say I ain't good enough. They say I ain't hood enough. Even if I signed Yeezy, I wouldn't be good enough. Killing myself to make a killing. Um, whatever. So I, like I go in through this whole thing about self-acceptance. And it was something about that song hmm. and writing that song. I was like, this is the title. So that's why I decided to do that. Oh, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Let's cut to the chase. This childhood of yours is like harrowing disturbing, um, by all rights, you should be dead a thousand times over. <laughs> sure. You should be a drug addict. Uh, your mom obviously suffered from bipolar, very severe uh, mental disease, mm -hmm. uh, addiction, every addiction you can possibly think of, crack and drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, sex, you name it. Yeah. Um, your dad completely not there for you, crack addict. You were conceived basically by two crack addicts. In a crack house. After in a they crack knew house each other fucking for, on a floor. Yep. Three days. Uh, crackhead Ruthie's house. When you think back on that story, what are some key moments that pop out from your childhood uh, the most? My mother being racist and using the N-word on all her 
biracial children. That's a hard one to think about. Yeah. Um, the time she almost strangled me to death. All the blood in my kitchen floor, roaches in the cereal boxes, cooking crack as a kid. Um, holding my first gun at 11. Throughout the book, there's a handful of photos uh, that you post living through this nightmare childhood. They're the only photos I have. And there's like th- four. Yeah, <laughs> total from your yeah, childhood. Yeah, yeah. One of the most undocumented childhoods of all time, yeah. um, which makes sense when you read these stories. You're beaming in those pictures. I never thought about that. You're just radiant. Your smile is so huge. And time and time again, this is what got me about the book. All of this suffering, all of this trauma that you underwent, the beatings, the humiliations, the, um, the, 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 the torture yeah. that you underwent. Because it was really just like torture. She did sleep deprivation. sleep deprivation. You made a joke about something about sleep deprivation or I never sleep or something Some, like that. Something. It, 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 was, it was something about... I didn't even make a joke. I just said some comment. I'm like, you know, 11, whatever, however old I am. And I guess there was this woman who had been sexually assaulted and it was like on the news and some about sleep deprivation. And I think I said something like, I could stay up all night. Like I'm just being a kid, like talking out loud, thinking like not even realizing like what this news story is even really about. And then my mom goes, oh, you fucking think you can, uh, this happened to me, motherfucker. There's that voice. And then, um, yeah, she was like, you're not going to sleep tonight. And she made me sit in a, a wooden chair. Um, and every time I started to nod off, she would scream at the top of her lungs, uh, motherfucker or Sir Robert, because my full name is Sir Robert Bryson Hall II. And she kept me up all night. And she was like, I bet you'll never, whatever, you know, again, some some uh, mission she was on that really didn't make any sense yeah. to me. So, yeah. In the midst of that, you're smiling in these photos. Yeah. And there's story after story about ways that you found joy. Yeah. You found bliss in the midst of this. What were some of the things that saved you <laughs> through that childhood? <laughs> skateboarding. This. Yeah, skateboarding. Eventually rap. Eventually rap, video games. I was always like three consoles behind. Uh-huh. And then uh, I don't know why, but it's I was always like scheming. I was always doing something. Like this one time, I uh, I went uh, while I was homeschooled. And when I say homeschooled, I really mean my mom slept all day because she was drinking all night. And then she would show me hooked on phonics for like twenty minutes. And I'm like twelve, and I was going through the uh, rich white people neighborhood with uh, my my homeschool credential that I like had laminated, and it's all bullshit. <laughs> and I, I taped story, it on me. Yeah. yeah, and then I'm like going up to people with a clear box since uh, I said I was the uh, poor people of America fund. And would you like to donate a dollar or more? And then everyone was doing it. So I like up my ask. Yeah. And I was like, let's make it $5. And then just like going to the ice cream truck and just eating a bunch of shit. It's like the best memory ever. That's fantastic. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Honestly, video games were such a huge part in my teenage years because some of my most um, like vivid memories are in a um, 3D space. You know, they're, they're mm. really in these video games in these places. And in these video games, I got to be the hero, man. I got to solve like crazy puzzles in indigenous places in a game called Uncharted. You know, I got to save the day and, and in some weird way, like here's this screen that I'm looking at and it just makes everything else dissipate. And I and I it does that to this day actually. Except now it's different. It's like mm-hmm. I'm not really running. Now it's kind of like more of a fun enhancement. Right. There's yeah. something else about video games that's interesting that I think is relevant for today's young people because I think young people today uh, really struggle with um, uh, kind of grit and determination, and um, it's easy for them to give up. But they play a lot of video games, and the whole point of video games is that. You try and try and try, and then you die, and then you start again. Exactly. And you, and you recalibrate your strategy. You come in, well, this time I'm going to take the sword or the gun, and I'm going to go in this side door, and I'm going to hit him on his knees instead of on his shoulders or whatever, yeah. and you try again. So there's a kind of like, it. if you're able to take away a lesson from video game it, games, it might be that kind of like- Perseverance. Perseverance, determination. I have this crazy, crazy album that I'm working on that I'll tell you about after this. And like when I wrote the script for it, cause it's a radio play, like straight Orson Welles. I was like, I'm just going to write the craziest shit I could oh, possibly awesome. think of. Yeah. yeah. And then I got some big, some big boys on it to act, which is so, so cool. And then in between it is like all this hip hop and different stuff like that. And so it's like, I had this idea of, wow, what could I do creatively? Like what's the wildest different thing and then once you know what it is, then you structure it. Okay, how long should this skit be? This song, how many songs in a row? And then you, you kind of, you file it out. I just released an album called Vinyl Days. Mm-hmm. And it's all super boom bap, hip hop, fun stuff. And I discovered this woman that like nobody knows about. Her name is Nezi Mamadou. And I discovered her on TikTok. And when she was 15 years old, her parents brought her from Nigeria. And um, she then went to college. And now she works in finance. And I'm just on TikTok. And I just see this strong, beautiful black woman killing it. Like, and it's mm-hmm. not like, especially when it comes to rap, like forget a dude or a woman or the, just her as a musician is like one of the illest I've ever heard in my life. Mm. And nobody knows who she is. So I was like, I'm going to put her on my album. Now, when I called her, she was damn near in tears. And she was like, I'm just a regular schmegular. I work in finance. I can't believe you're calling me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hell yeah, because she's now in her 30s. Still look good. Black don't crack. Looks amazing. And she's still rapping like she is the biggest rapper in the world because she loves it and she's having fun. And I think that's so important for anybody watching or listening. Like we're so brainwashed by not only social media, but entertainment and and media in general that everything has to be so big, so grandiose, so number one, so this, when it's just like, dude, if you got to go work a nine to five, 
and you love video games, at least you have something in your life that you love and appreciate. And if you would love to be able to work on video games for a living, figure it out. Yeah. You can do it. I mean, maybe you're not the guy, you know, with the hundred million dollar budget at PlayStation and but maybe not, but whatever you want to be into, man, comic books, um, film, cars, auctions, fine art, like yeah. you can be in that world if you really care enough to do it. Even if you're just making a mixtape for friends, like when did that become like a dream? How, do, how does that work? It had been a dream since then. Like it just, I was just like, this is amazing. And people were like, yo, you're good at this. And the more I did, the more things just happen. I don't know how to explain it. You meet other friends who like it. Like Alan Watts said, you start going to open mics and performing. And then there you meet a producer. And then that producer you know, um, sends you beats. And then the, after he sends you beats, you put out songs. And somehow you run into a guy from the radio station who gives you more, you know, plays your, plays your stuff on the radio, like some underground college radio. And you're like, oh my God, this is crazy. And then you meet somebody who's knows somebody who's posting your song on a blog and then more people. It's just like this organic thing that happened. But I really believe it was the law of attraction, energy. Like I made it happen because I wanted it so bad, but I looked at it. I always say with, you know, persistence, determination, realism, and wanting success more than your next breath. I wasn't like bitches and hoes and boats. And like, I wasn't mm -hmm. like, that's mm -hmm. what it's going to be. I was like, I can turn this into a business. And Although I'm bitches brain. and hoes and boats is one of my favorite songs. Yeah. Bitches and hoes and boats. Did your traumatic experiences from your childhood make you more creative? For sure. How? Yeah. Um, I think <laughs> it gave me more detail. Knowing that life can be that traumatic shows you so much more than just bitches and hoes and boats. No, it shows you so much more than just like two parents going to a job, putting you in a good school, taking the van, a nice little holiday. Like it's like, no, you know, your sister's getting raped and coming home and understanding what sexual assault is at six years old and police officers and reports and your mom getting beat up. And like, it's like those things where you're like, oh, there's so much more here, you know? So the mm -hmm. other kids would just look at life and look at family and look at parents as like, this is what it is. But I was like, I thought that's what it was watching Disney channel and all this. And then I realized, oh no, that isn't all there is to life or relationships or family. And then so by being forced to uh, comprehend the many sides of, of life and situations that can arise in a household, I was like, well, wow, there's got to be many other sides and situations to so many other aspects of art. So can you point to one specific traumatic event that had a maximum impact on your life as an artist? I mean, there's so many in this book. There's hundreds. It goes on and on and on. But then it's so refreshing because all of a sudden you have the success and it becomes... From childhood or from like the, just the first one that comes to like the, the one that I think changed me? Yeah, whatever. So I think the thing that really changed me is when I had the insane panic attack in line to go see the Star Wars movie um, in 2015. And I was 25 years old and it felt like an elephant was on my chest and I'm like puking and like freaking out and have to miss the Star Wars uh, movie to jump in a car. And I'm with my ex-wife and she drives me to the hospital and I get in there. I can't even sit down. I'm like freaking out and they get me in a bed and the doctor's like, 
you're having a panic attack. And I'm like, what? No, I'm not, man. I'm like, I'm not, man. He's like, no, nah, man, panic attack. And I'm like, what? He's like, you want some Ambien? I'm like, I don't do drugs, man. And, oh, no, no, no. And he's like, I think you should take some Ambien. And I'm like, I don't think. And he's like, just take some Ambien. And I'm like, okay. And I take it. And then I'm like, oh, whoa. <laughs> that was weird. What's going on? So how did that influence your creativity? It fucked me up so bad. It scared me. It, yeah. It, it messed me up. It changed my perception. Glimpse of mortality, maybe? Yeah. But also, like, then I started experiencing this thing, which I still experience to this day, but through tool, tools, I know how to, it's not that deep derealization where you feel disconnected from reality. Yeah. Like, there's a glass wall between you and everything. And, like, that scared me. I thought I was dying. And I wrote a novel. And that novel, Supermarket, is just literally me being, like, going through my own depression and, angst and all these things that were going on in my life, you know, romantically and personally and professionally and all this, I just created this like fake world that didn't exist based on a world that, that did, especially me as, you know, in my teens working at a supermarket and all this stuff. Yeah. And, I, and so I wrote the first half of this book at literally just the height of the worst anxiety I'd ever had in my entire life. And then I, I worked on myself and I went to therapy and I got these tools and then I wrote the second half afterwards when I was in a better place where the character also eventually finds himself. So I think those are ways crazy events in our lives can influence our creativity. So we're in a mental health epidemic that is uh, through the roof. The statistics around it are absolutely staggering. We've done a bunch of episodes around mental health with Dr. Gabor Mate and, and many others um, over this last couple of years of doing Metaphysical Milkshake. But I love and, that title. And we've, um, but we've talked about, you know, here, just like anxiety, like I have uh, a general anxiety disorder. Sounds like you do as well. Oh yeah, I do. We've I'm been, I've been in right therapy now. for like 18 years. Um, seems like you've been in therapy. Tell me about your therapy and has your mental health struggles helped your uh, success and creativity as an artist? Yeah, I mean, well, yes, without, without question. It's given me something to write about, you know? And even in, like, different spaces, like, I see there's this, like, monster that is anxiety, and maybe he's a villain in a book. You know what I mean? That I'm writing. I mean, mm. actually, literally is that in my first novel that I wrote. But, mm. um, yeah, man, I, I I love therapy. My therapist is... She's just given me such amazing tools, like intrusive thoughts, gnarly. How, describe that. What's that? Well, an intrusive thought is something that we all experience all the time. You could be standing in line and you think about punching a cashier in the face and you're like, mm -hmm. whoa, mm -hmm. where did that come from? Or like something even crazier, you know, like whatever your intrusive thought might be. And it's not really you. You're not sitting there going, like, I want to do this thing. And I think that's what actually makes us human, where if you have this insane um, thought that pops into your head, how you react to it, if you are like, whoa, that shows that you are actually human. And I've, I've learned that a lot of our sub, uh, uh, intrusive thoughts are actually because we care about that thing so much. You know, So I don't know, if you punch an old person in the face, and you react, you're like, oh my God, I really love old people. I would never do that. And then you, it, it begins to bother you because you're like, why would I think that? But it's just like scumbag brain. You didn't think that. It just popped in your head. And then 
next time, say, if you see a geriatric person and you think it again because you're scared that you're going to think it. And then now every time you're seeing senior citizens, you're just thinking about punching them in the face. And it's like this like roller coaster. And you have to untrain. You have to understand. Most people don't realize that intrusive thoughts about whatever it may be. But I'm just using this as an example. The last thing you want to do is freak out and go, why did I just think that? Because it trains your brain like to freak out like you're seeing a lion or something when you're not. Mm. And it's mm. like you could just be like, hey, I see you. Intrusive thought. Fuck off. And, and don't, don't spend your time worrying about it. That's just like one of the many things that has made my life so much better. So you'd recommend therapy, therapeutic process to the listeners? Yes. Do you get any full-on panic attacks anymore? It's been a while because of, I use my tools. What you tools? Know what I mean? Knowing that you've been here before. I think the thing about anxiety is, is it feels different every single time. Right. So it feels like it's brand new. Like I'm like, oh my God, I've never felt this. Or yeah. I feel dizzy or you know, whatever. And so that's one thing that is really difficult. And then having to be on, you know what I mean? Not, mm -hmm. not saying that I'm on now, but I'm just in, in certain circumstances where it's like, all you want to do is lay down and rest because you've yep. been grinding and grinding and grinding, you know, recording an album, writing a book, going on tour, doing press, doing this, doing that. Doing, and there's like, you have to learn how to put your foot down for yourself and listen to your body, which is important, which is what I'm about to be doing after this. I'm going to sit on the couch. Sweet. And relax. Yeah. I, I went through a phase where I had anxiety attacks about uh, talk shows. Really? So I was just getting big on The Office. I'd done a bunch of talk shows, which is a pretty nerve wracking experience. Oh yeah, it is, dude. And especially if you're like a, known as like a comedy actor, because you're like, you're, the expectation is that you're going to tell these killer funny stories and you're going to nail it and get big laughs and that it's going to be repeatable and replayable on YouTube and whatnot. And so I, was, I felt all this, this pressure, like you said, pressure to perform. Yeah. And besides that period where I had anxiety attacks in my 20s, early 20s, I would feel like while on a talk show, like I'm going to hyperventilate and I'm going to pass out on national television. Dude. And I was certain it was going to happen i would literally be there with david letterman or jay leno or whomever i'd be like just like breathing trying to like beforehand listen. or like in the During, middle of live it. oh whoa with the band and the audience and the whole thing and like i was just terrified my eyes would bug out of my head i would i would go into a sweat i would just sweat would start wow, i love how human that you're so human you know what i mean like that's amazing a lot of people like to act or pretend or not even just talk about what you're talking about right yeah. now yeah, I feel you. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.
I think the biggest tool is rest, like true rest, mm-hmm. being off your phone and finding the source of your anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest source of my anxiety is failure. So because I'm afraid to fail, I overcompensate and over and overwork constantly mm. when I should be relaxing, even with my wife. And I give my wife all my attention, well, most of it, because it's like there's a part of my brain that thinks of a new idea for an album or a script idea or a comic book or so on and so forth, and it just never stops. Mm-hmm. So realizing that the source of my anxiety is fear um, has allowed me to combat and kind of just tell myself to shut the fuck up. Well, it's funny you say fear of failure because I wanted to talk to you about your book, This Bright Future, um, which is just phenomenal. You're talking about this fear of failure. And there was a, a seminal moment. I forget which friend of yours it was. Was it Josh or was it Mike that said, you need to rap. You need to get away from skateboarding. Josh, yeah. Because on skateboarding, you don't commit. And mm-hmm. on, in rap, you do commit. And I love this idea of committing. I hadn't thought of it that way. I'm, I'm not very athletic. I don't know if you could tell. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not an athlete. And, um, but I, and I tried to learn skiing like in my 40s. And skiing is just like skateboarding in the sense that in order for it to work, you have to commit to going down the hill. Yeah. You've got to get some speed going in order if you want to gain control over your skis. I'm terrible at that because as soon as I commit, I'm like, oh shit, yeah, yeah. I'm going too fast. I'm going to fall over. And then when you tense up, then you do fall over. But with rap, you were talking about when you first started rapping as a, as a teenager, 16, 17 years old. Like you weren't afraid to fail when you started, right? I mean, he was talking about your ability to to just throw yourself in and try shit and 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 write and try genres. Would you would you say that's true? Yeah, especially because there was nobody there to see me fall or fail or this or that in this creative space, because I was really just having fun with it. If your biggest fear, if your biggest anxiety producer is failing why are you doing shit like writing a novel and writing a memoir and doing a rock album you know what i mean you could stick to what you do really well yeah but then the craziest part is is like the stuff i'm the most scared about is always the most successful in a way at least looking back like uh, you know statistically like what specifically like when i dropped my indie rock album i felt like a horrible failure because everyone was like this sucks and now it's like a cult classic in my fan base. Yeah. So it's like in the moment, even if I had failed, it's like one of my most revered, like you can't get the vinyl anywhere. You know what I mean? Like it's sold out. I have been with a lot of creative people over the years. I've been with from A-list movie stars to, to playwrights doing theater in New York to film writers and directors and, and whatnot. And like coming into that little compound that you were at before when I, when I visited you, like it was just a cauldron. It was a volcano of creativity. It was incredible. Like you had finished your book. You were playing me some tracks from the, you know, the indie rock album, some new indie rock you were doing where you're playing guitar of mm-hmm. all things and singing, you know, not rapping. And then we were doing some comedy sketches and then you played me some stuff from the experimental rap album and from the, from the kind of like, more pop rap album. And um, it was just like, I was just like, holy shit, this is like, this is so inspiring. It was just, it was just this 
volcano of creative energy. So how do you transform that suffering into meaning, that suffering into creativity? Well, first of all, thank you for saying what you just did about my space. Cause I really feel like that's like been my goal. It's like, I want everything about what's going on in my zone to like be inspiring selfishly to me first. So it's like, if other people come in and feel that energy, that just makes me really happy. So mm. thanks for saying that. Um, when I was younger, like 19, 20, I would be writing songs and I'd be like, it's okay. You're going to get through this. Like you're worth it. But like, fuck the listener. I was talking to myself, you know, because nobody else was there to like really tell me that. Mm. And so I'm like, it's going to be all right. You know, you're not going to sell crack forever. No, I'm just kidding. But it's like, you're going to be our, I never actually sold crack. I did cook it. Anyway. <laughs> so your brother sold crack to your dad. Yeah. Just for I know. clarity's sake Insane. here. So, okay. So as I, you know, was releasing more and more music. I remember in 2015 on my second album, I did a fan tour uh, where I basically got a tour bus and then went from Los Angeles to New York City playing fans my album early. And they started saying something that was really crazy to me. They were like, yo, your music saved my life. Mm. And I'm like, what? Because in my, my head, once again, anytime I'm on a record talking about, it's okay, you can persevere through this, you can do it. It was really me talking to me. And to know that my words were really hitting these people, I was like, man, I haven't even tried. So that's why I then went on to create the song 1-800. So when you talk about how, how can that trauma transfer, it's like, well, that trauma was on me. And then I was like, it's okay, Bobby, basically, without saying my name on the record, you'll be okay. But then the fans heard a voice telling hey, them that, that they're going to be them. okay. That was their message. And then I heard their voice back to me saying you saved my life and then mm. i heard a voice in my head that was like you haven't even tried to save a life so what if you do a song mm. and i did that song and i never you know nobody was like yo this song about suicide about to blow the club up like nobody was thinking that you know <laughs> but lo and behold it it, it really did its thing so it, it's it's that childhood and those adolescent experiences um that led all the way up to a song like that I guess the reason I keep coming back to this is like, A, you should be dead yeah. and B, you should be jaded and C, you should be feeling sorry for yourself and D, you should be doing absolutely the minimum to just be getting by. So how, how do you take all of this suffering and make it this just like fountain, this cornucopia of, of, of creativity. It's very, it's really, it's fascinating. And I'm just speaking here just to be really honest. Like I had a difficult childhood in my way. You know, we were very poor when I was young. I got my clothes from Salvation Army. We drank powdered milk because they couldn't afford real milk. But I was, my, my situation was nowhere near, I mean, not, not one hundredth, not one one thousandth of what you went through. So I'm not comparing it in that way, but I, in some ways now I look back and I'm grateful on the struggles that I had as a kid because that gave me that fire. It gave me that determination, but I was not at a place where it's like, I should be dead. You know, there was no crack around. <laughs> there was just parents who didn't hug, you know, and who were checked out. Yeah. Um, so again, you should be dead. You should be jaded. You should be bitter. You should be doing the minimum. You should be addicted to like 27 different substances so what gives? 
Well, I think, you know, I've had a lot of people say what you just said to me. And I don't feel as though you did just discredit yourself by any means, but different different paths are different paths, you know? It's like if Kim Kardashian's crying because she lost a $100,000 earring at the bottom of the ocean, that's her pain. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's all she knows. Like, you know, so like that's just a real thing. It's like, you know, we could be like, oh, there's kids in third world countries dying. And it's like, hey, man, like we all have what we go through, right? And it's like, um there's levels to it like yeah so you went through some real shit you know maybe you had a difficult relationship with your parents that altered who you are as a human being and allowed you to have to do some serious work and through therapy that maybe you're still dealing with just as i personally am like but we're just dealing with it in different ways so i just kind of want to say like anybody out there who might be like well damn i never had you know, Bob's upbringing or this is, it's just like, it doesn't matter. Like your pain is okay. And your pain is enough. One thing, uh, separate question, but one of the things I was really struck by is you had no moral compass from anyone. It was guns and crack and abuse and violence and anger all around you constantly. But there's all these stories of like the kids boosting you into that kind of classroom to steal that money. Mm. And then you saw this tar jar of money sitting on the desk. And then you saw on the jar, the money was meant for a kid with cancer. And you were like, hell no, I'm not taking this yeah. jar. Even though you had like, you know, oh, eight the thugs kids, outside yeah. going like, get the fucking money, Bobby. I was like, and, nah, I'm straight. And then other times you're like driving around, they're like, here, shoot this gun or hold this gun or we're going <laughs> on this run. And you're like, I shouldn't be doing this. This is not right. This doesn't, feel right like you had this kind of like moral compass even though it was not demonstrated to you or for you whatsoever and and your friend josh came was he white josh yeah josh is like the whitest man alive excuse me <laughs> he's a pretty white guy whiter than probably not whiter than you okay <laughs> there we go he was of but, the culture but you know two-story house multiple bedrooms, parents yeah. with great careers, lily white suburbs, like lots of love and support. And he just went off the rails, yeah, right? Into the thug life. And you talk about him, like, how, why do you think that is? Like, I was just reading these stories, like, this doesn't make any sense. Everything that I have been reading is like, our moral imperative comes from, uh, from nurture, not nature. But there seemed to be some kind of like heightened sense of right and wrong inside of you, even though no one was demonstrating that. I personally am not a religious guy. So now on the other side, I believe in something. And what I do believe as far as why somebody like friends of mine may have gone down one path when actually being born in a better position than I was. And me kind of, at least as far as um, success and attitude and outlook ended up as though they should have, um, you know, born into a happy suburban family. I believe that when we're born, there's doors, man, an infinite amount of doors. I know this mm. sounds crazy, but this is just like what I believe. Mm. There's an infinite amount of doors and you open one door and there's an infinite amount of more doors. So there's all of these paths that are in front of us that have been given to us. And the first, first one is at a canal. 
<laughs> all right, <laughs> not your mama. And that opens all, all these doors. And I think a lot of my friends opened doors and continued to go down a wrong pathway through that, those doors. And if this door opens up, hey, man, you want to come out back and smoke weed? And then you go out back and smoke weed. As you continue to open this door, you're like dying of an overdose, like in a dumpster. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's going to happen to everybody, but I'm like, it kind of, a new set of doors begin opening. And that's what I feel, man. I feel like I just, I went down some bad doors and turned around and went back through and maybe what is it at you? What is it about you at age 11 making moral choices when you don't have anyone showing you anything having to do with ethics whatsoever? What is is that? I don't understand that. I think that's just- Does that mean that human beings have some kind of like maybe divinely inspired moral imperative to kind of like do the right thing? This is not something that's trained, but there's something- in our wiring, something in our genetics? I don't know. What do you want me to say on the shit, man? I made it. No, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's weird. I wish I had the answer. And I think that's what I struggled with, with for so long. Like this almost sense of like hood survivor's guilt. Like why me? Why did I make it out? Why is the rest of my family fucked up? It's like a hard thing to think about. Like I could be some of my family members. Yikes. Yeah. Like- and I could be some of mine. Yeah. And believe me, when we cu- stop recording, I'll tell you some stories. Please so do. what is the recipe for crack cocaine? How do you make it? I don't remember. I just remember baking soda being involved, a, a mason jar. I mean, I was like, I don't know. I was young. I was a teenager. Did you wear like one of those Breaking Bad like? No, I was like, no, I was like just inhaling all this shit. And the craziest part is, is that like the little girls' bedrooms were upstairs, and this shit is just going into the vents. And it's like you have pure cocaine that you pour into this mason jar, and then you watch it. I don't know. That's as close as I got. Yeah, one of the repeated stories through your book was the way that religion and the twelve steps of AA were kind of used as torture devices to, uh, to traumatize you. Like whenever you would do something remotely bad or not even, like you would get lectured about the Bible, your, your mom's kind of bipolarness about being, she was literally either, either the virgin or the whore. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's wild. Um, but how does that affect your relationship to spirituality to have kind of like the Bible was used as a, as a weapon uh, of of shame and humiliation and pain and even AA, which is supposed to be like this open place that you know people get support and love for one another and support each other through their addiction and their bad times. Your mom would use it to like hook up with people or score drugs or yeah. try and you know get, get money from folks. Yeah. And so these two kind of like beautiful things when you think about the beautiful holy words of the Bible and you think about the beautiful holy words of AA, they were used to just squash you down. Yeah, but I think it's like when you're a kid, that's all you know it as. So Mm -hmm. all I knew it as was like this thing, these things that just sucked. Mm -hmm. And then you grow and you get older and you realize, oh no, these are actually amazing things. They were just used in the wrong way. Mm. You know? But you're able to differentiate because a lot of people that suffered at all from the Bible or church or uh, religious hypocrisy in their yeah, family, yeah. they're like, 
fuck that. I'm not having anything to do with that. Um, but you you were literally tortured by Bibles. <laughs> tortured by Bibles. Yeah, I think and you're still you still have a kind of like a a serenity about your connection. This is just one of those things. I can't explain it. It's just a weird, I just, I don't know. You're right. I should be like, screw this. I should be like a Satanist and like, you know, just like, oh yeah, mom's Christian. But it was like, I don't know. I know. I, I wish I could really explain it. It's just so difficult. I don't know what it is. Mm. I think I just really respect people, man. I respect people's religions, their beliefs, their this, their that. Even if I don't agree with it or if I think it's batshit crazy, I will respect the hell out of it because it's like, I can't disprove it. You can't disprove what I believe. It's like, we're all just floating on a rock. You know, that's how I see it. What I'm going to argue with you about what you believe in, you know, especially if you're morally sound as a human being, like, it's like, what are we even arguing about? It's like, it's like the internet, you know, you could be on the same side, but it's like, it's not what you said. It's how you said it canceled. And it's just like, geez, bro. Like this is insane. Yeah. I hate to ask this. This is this is stupid, but it could be really cool. You have any of your rhymes from your songs that kind of sum up this journey from childhood trauma beyond all measure to positive creative inspiration. This is the whole I'm just going to fucking read it. I saw a kid with no smile on his face today. Where is my place in this bright future? I heard him say they say I ain't good enough, say I ain't hood enough. Even if I signed a Yeezy, I wouldn't be good enough. Killing myself to make a killing, fuck the bullshit, I'ma just write what I'm feeling. I heard him say, I'd rather be hated for who I am than love for who I'm not, give a fuck if it's hot. I saw a kid with no smile on his face today. Where is my bright place in this bright future? I heard him say. That boy different, don't fuck with him, but I'd rather stand out than stand in, let the story begin. Uh, look in the mirror and what I tell him, reflecting on my life, I'm Keanu and Parabellum. I came a long way from where you was, up and comer with the buzz, overcame selling drugs, overcame depression, even overcame addiction, and had the courage to say what others wouldn't with conviction. I'm always in the kitchen, never mind who be bitching. I saw a kid with no smile on his face today. Where is my place in this bright future? I heard him say, I am that kid. Never mind who be bitching. This is for the person in the back who always gonna listen. Fuck a punchline. This is food for thought like the lunch line. We all got problems. The question is, can you solve them? Have the courage to face all of them and resolve them. Shit. I know I can't because I did it. I know I can't because I done it. No matter what the fuck you're going through, I'm gonna keep it a hundred. I know you can overcome it. Baby mama tripping. I know I've been there. Boss caught you slipping. I know I've been there. Somebody beefing with you, man. That shit ain't rare. Just keep it pushing. I saw a kid with no smile on his face today. Where is my place in this bright future? I heard him say, and this is it. I've been battling with my demons. I'm cowardice when I see him. I'm powerless. I can't beat him. But deep down, I feel like I need him. Power is freedom. You can lead him, but can't feed him. Smiling on my face, but I'm dying under the surface. What is my purpose? I'm feeling worthless. Tell me what worth is. My flaws, I happily greet him. Imperfections, I love him. My enemies, I defeat him. Man, I know somebody's going to relate to this. If keeping it real is a sin, you better pray for this. Because I wanted this shit all my life till I finally got it and realized there's so much more to life. I used to dream I'd become the fucking man I am. Stacking money and reading my son Sam I am. Love life. Can't tell you how much a fan I am. This is grown folk music if you did not know. 30-something. I ain't rapping about no dumb shit, ho. Keep it real. Bobby boy, he ain't no kid no more. Now keep it real. Bobby boy, he ain't no kid no more. And if you feeling how I'm feeling, let a motherfucker know. That sums it up. Gratat. Bobby Hall, a.k.a. Logic, thank you so much. Thanks, this dude. This was a beautiful conversation. 
wow, I, uh, I kind of forgive you for abandoning me for that episode. Pretty good, right? Yeah. That was really, really deep. Fascinating guy. Fa- absolutely brilliant, fascinating guy. Besides albums, he's written a book, uh, a, a memoir, and a fiction book, and a rock album. Um, his album, his new album's at the top of the charts. Um, but uh, just a, a fascinating conversation. Well, let, let me ask. Let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, a lot of that, you know, probably hit home for you. You've had a lot of tragedy in your life. You've been very open about it. Addiction, you know, all of the, the whole gamut. Um, and you're you're a creative mind. You you tap into a lot of that for creative creativity. Uh, what did uh, what did you learn from Bobby? Well, what what has stuck with you? I guess you know. It's so easy to get into a, uh, and forgive me for saying this because it's kind of a right-wing talking point, but a victim mentality where we feel like uh, we've been so um, traumatized and victimized through our life that we can kind of live in a victim state. But um, that no matter how much we've suffered, a little or a lot, we kind of owe it to ourselves and to the world to kind of spin that into gold. And to, you know, to take our pain and turn it into light. Um, this sounds like I'm reading from a dozen Hallmark cards right now, but <laughs> it's just true. Yeah. It's just true. Um, uh, this is a guy who could have wallowed in his, in his pain and his trauma. Uh, it's a guy who could have been dealing drugs. It's a guy who could have ended up in prison. Um, and instead he's just brought a lot of, light to the world, a lot of illumination about his own mental health issues. And um, uh, I'm, I'm just really impressed. It was very inspiring conversation to me. Fascinating. Well, folks, uh, if you want more of life's big questions, you know what to do. You can just find us on social media at Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson and on Twitter at Metamilk Podcast and on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. Let us know your life's big question. We just might explore them on a future episode. And you can also please remember to follow, rate, and review Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts. If you are reviewing this particular episode, please make sure that you note that episodes are better when Reza is part of them. Uh, You can also subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel and watch our full episodes every week. See you next week when... I will not allow Rain to hijack this podcast for his own personal growth. I insist on being the annoying voice in his ear or or co-host as whatever, however you want to call it. (laughs) You're like that little buzzing mosquito. You're like a podcast mosquito. That's that's my brand. Thank you very much. That's the last time I'm going to do it. I welcome you back into the fold. Let's proceed together, Reza. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. Also, my therapist is not bad to look at and she's australian so that makes it easier that's a joke um she's really sweet man and she's so you're suggesting getting a hot therapist hot therapist hot therapist that sounds like a really like like a rap album (laughs) hot therapist
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On holiday, there's nothing like doing nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing for less. Expedia. Made to travel. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.